The Motivational Moments podcast is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Prime Information Security, online at www.primeinfosec.com, and with the support of our many subscribers. Thank you. Hello, it's Linda Okwa-Jenner here with another Motivational Moments podcast. Today, I'm introducing a returning guest, Melissa Day, who's been sharing her breast cancer story. Hello, Melissa. It's good to have you back. Hello. Thank you for having me back. So, um, you've been a busy lady. You've been um, getting ready for Christmas with your little one. And obviously, you're a working lady as well. So it's lovely that you could come back and share an update of what we've been talking about in our past uh, podcasts and um, maybe leave us with some thoughts for, you know, other people who may be going through uh, this kind of diagnosis and um, how you cope with it and where they could go for help, maybe. Yeah, of course. So um, my story uh, began quite a few years ago um, when I had discovered that I had uh, some nipple discharge in my uh, right breast, Um, you know, meeting with my family doctor and then ultimately being referred to Women's College Hospital in Toronto. We discovered that um, it was a non-cancerous, you know, lump that I had and we would be monitoring it. Um, at that time, um, around, you know, uh, the end of, uh, the end of, uh, 2020, um, you and I actually discovered that we both have the ATMG mutation, which means we're both, um, at a higher risk for breast cancer as well as other cancers. And, um, then, uh, you know, I was, I was pregnant at the time. And we had decided we would continue just monitoring um, everything that was going on with the high-risk team at Women's College Hospital. Um, And then um, just after um, a year after my son was born and I had stopped breastfeeding, um, I noticed, you know, some some new signs. And um, I went to Women's College Hospital where in uh, October 5th of 2021, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, so primary breast cancer. Um, you know, we'd caught it very early, um, early stage, you know, we'd really done everything, you know, right that, that we could have done. Um, at that point, you know, we, um, had started treatment, which for me was, um, I didn't need chemotherapy and I didn't need radiation. So it was hormone therapy, um, that I would be, that I'd be taking. And so we thought at that point, you know, do this for a couple of years and then we can reevaluate what we do in terms of potentially having other children. Um, and then also knowing that we have the ATMG mutation, mutation, um, and being at a higher risk, you know, the conversation around, do we do a preventative, um, uh, hysterectomy and, and that type of thing when the time uh, comes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in uh, May, uh, actually Friday, May 13th, uh, 2022, um, that's when I was actually diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer, also known as secondary breast cancer. Um, and, you know, uh, as I mentioned on the other uh, podcast, that was for sure a big shock to us because we had caught everything early. Because um, I didn't have scans in the October of 2021, um, I we don't know if the metastatic, if the metastatic breast cancer was there from the beginning when we noticed that I had the breast cancer, uh, which is called de novo. 
or if it had started, you know, following that diagnosis. Um, and so one thing that I have learned through this is, yes, you can either be diagnosed de novo all at once, or you can um, be diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, you know, a few months after your primary um, breast cancer diagnosis, all the way to, you know, 20, 30 years later and any time in between. Um, so at that point, um, obviously, since it is, um, you know, uh, an incurable disease, um, we started different medication um, to really target the metastatic breast cancer. Um, so I've gone through um, two, two medications so far. I'm on the second one right now. And um, really just, um, you know, it's, it's scans every three months to keep an eye on everything. But I was speaking to someone yesterday and we were saying, you know, as much as you get scan, uh, scan anxiety, um, leaving, leading up to them really with this, it's all monitoring. So they're catching things when they're very small. So for us, the big, you know, the big, uh, scary part was in, was really in May and now it's all monitoring and really managing, uh, this diagnosis. Wow. That's a, quite a recap, Melissa. Um, for those people out there listening to this podcast, the reason we we're sharing your story, Melissa, is as I've already mentioned. You know, neither of us knew the words de novo. Um, I didn't really understand that the primary could, you know, primary breast cancer could do this. And what we've discovered is, and, and I mean, you know, please jump in if I'm giving incorrect information. But there doesn't appear to be an awful lot of information out there at the beginning of someone's diagnosis of breast cancer. Is that correct, Melissa? Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, the first time I, I heard of metastatic breast cancer kind of through this journey um, was somebody that I follow on uh, Instagram and she had shared kind of, you know, some of the things to, to look for. Um, but other than that, right. I mean, it, it wasn't really mentioned. And so I think no matter what your diagnosis is in terms of your primary uh, breast cancer diagnosis, um, knowing early on like the signs and symptoms to look for, mm. um, you know, for me, other than a bit of back pain, uh, which I, you know, I've said this before, I think anybody over the age of 20, um, mm. you know, experiences some kind of back pain. Um, but my scan was kind of a fluke scan. So I didn't have a lot of the um, side effects that you would, you would look for in terms of metastatic breast cancer. Mm. But I do think, you know, sharing those earlier on and, you know, perhaps it's a part of, of the, um, you know, the doctor's plan to share it at some point. Um, and I'm sure every doctor is, is different, but I know there's also this balance of, you know, not providing too much information and terrifying people, but also giving them enough information so that they, they know the, what could happen. Right. That's a that's a good point. Not terrifying people. But the thing is this, I mean, and a lot of people may agree with me, and that's fine. But basically, I was never told this could happen, you know, in um nineteen nineteen ninety-seven, my first diagnosis and two thousand my second diagnosis. Um, I was never told this could happen. And yes, I would have been worried because I'm a worrier, I am a stressor, but the point is I would have rather have known the possibility, and this is what I am advocating for in my own small way, that, you know, your family doctor, your oncologist, whoever you are talking to at the time you're diagnosed, that they do tell you that this could happen. So they can look for the signs. 
Um, I don't know whether this is ever going to happen. I have found, Melissa, that there seems to be more information about this in the UK on the UK websites. I've checked out the Canadian Cancer Society and some other sites like um, the Breast Cancer Foundation. And obviously, I do have to type in something other than secondary breast cancer to find it. So what I would like is, you know, for, for it to be obvious, if you type in a uh, breast cancer or early breast cancer for them to talk about secondary breast cancer at that point you know even even though as you say Melissa we try not to terrify people there are women out there and a few men who don't even want to have um, a mammogram every, every how often can you have a mammogram Melissa I forget now it really depends on the each province within okay. Canada So there's a lot of people who say, no, 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 I don't want a mammogram because I'd be scared if something happened, if I found a lump. And, you know, that is a shame. So, no, we don't want to terrify people, but I feel that we should be able to make our own decisions about what kind of information we want. And I know that you... Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I I know you're working towards that too. Sorry, Melissa. No, no. I am. I think having, um, you know, when, when we are talking about breast cancer, we should be talking about both primary and secondary, right? So whether it's on websites or, um, you know, online or conversations with your doctors or conversations with your friends, because I think the other thing a lot of people don't realize is that people don't die from breast primary breast cancer. People die from secondary breast cancer. So if anybody knows someone that's passed away from breast cancer, ultimately they had metastatic secondary breast cancer. So I think that's that's um, that's another piece as well. Um, And um, yeah, I think, I think really the conversation needs to shift from talking about just breast cancer as kind of over overarching um, and assuming people understand what that means and really changing the conversation to say primary and secondary breast cancer so that people are understanding that there are two uh, different types and, and what they mean. It's a difficult situation because um, I've been talking about awareness prevention and early detection for many years regarding breast cancer. And I guess as your mom, I was very shocked to find out that you had this diagnosis. And my first words were, how can I tell people that early detection helps? And then right. I, I slapped myself and I said, don't be silly, Linda. It does help because I'm not going to go into stats and stuff, but I think there's about, I don't know, 20%. I don't know if it's 20% or 30% of women, you know, do get diagnosed with secondary breast cancer, not everybody. So, again, it's a case of when I talk about um, breast cancer in the future, I will bring this into the conversation. I will say early detection health because obviously it does, but I think I was going through shock. So since your diagnosis, Melissa, you've carried on working, you carry on going for your regular checkups, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a busy lady. Can I ask you... What keeps you going? Your mindset, your you know your your goals to 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 defeat this in your own way, in the sense that keep on managing it. What is it that you can share with other people listening that can also help you know them to stay on the same track and and never give up on hope? Yeah, and I think I mean everybody's different. I think it it really depends on um, your your personality and your mindset and all those different things. And um, of course, in you know. Uh, I think it was for about three to four weeks after May 13th, we were for sure in a very uh, deep depression. Um, and so it took, it took a while to come to terms with everything. And then it was ultimately, you know, something kind of um, switched in, in my thoughts. And I, I 
thought, you know, well, I'm fine right now. Life goes on, right? This is something, you know, um, not a death sentence. It's really um, a, a chronic illness that I have to manage. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the other thing for me through those like three to four weeks was really talking to um, people going through it and not even realizing that some people that I know, you know, um, knowing that they, they have metastatic breast cancer and I didn't even realize. Right. And so having those conversations, I think really helped because, you know, seeing how far we've come with, um, you know, research and medication and and people are living a lot longer with this. um, I think it was for me, that was kind of the big switch that, you know, nothing's happening right now. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. It's uh, a terrible diagnosis, but I am very hopeful that, you know, we'll continue to find other lines of treatment and we'll continue to work towards a cure Um, because, you know, yes, early detection is key, but um, you know, we need, we need more than, than just early detection clearly um, Mm -hmm. because even with early detection, this happened to me. And, you know, a lot of the other women that I talked to online, some of them only find out about this once their, you know, their spine fractures or, you know, something um, more drastic. So um, I think the thing that kind of keeps me going is um, just life, you know, um, having an amazing family, an amazing husband, uh, an amazing son, uh, amazing friends and, and work friends. And, um, you know, I think it's, yeah, I think for me, it's just life goes on and, and you can't, like a lot of other things, you can't let this stop you from living. That's that's a wonderful way to look at it, Melissa. Um, so um, would you advise people who are diagnosed with breast cancer or secondary breast cancer, you know, the whole caboodle, would you advise them to, to seek the help of a counsellor or a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist? Do you think talking to someone along, you know, the lines of, you know, not always, you know, sharing things with our family or our friends, but talking to someone outside of uh, of that, you know, kind of deal. Would that help, do you think, to, to people listening? Oh, my goodness. I think everybody needs a therapist, whether they have breast cancer or not. I think, um, you know, I think um, we've come a long way in terms of stigma around mental health, but I think related to um, breast cancer, um, both primary and secondary diagnosis, um, you know, with my first diagnosis uh, through Women's College Hospital, I was connected with um, a counselor and she was amazing. Um, and I found that to be extremely helpful. And then with the secondary um, diagnosis, um, we actually um, use the employee uh, program. So mm-hmm. uh, through TELUS and LifeWorks for um, a counselor there. Um, and that was extremely helpful. And now, you know, it's continuing that, right? I mean, it's great to talk to family and friends, but I think you also... Um, I think you need a professional who who understands, you know, a lot more than, you know, possibly our friends and family do and can give you kind of um, non-biased information because mm-hmm. they're not your mom or they're not your best friend or, you know. And so I do think that's super helpful um, for me. I know we've talked about this before, like meditation uh, with Laura in England has been extremely helpful, um, you know, continuing with a therapist, um, you know, mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy, all those different things. Um, and just really putting as many tools in your toolbox so that, you know, it is a roller coaster, whether it's breast cancer, both primary or secondary or anything in your life, having those tools when things get hard that you can pull out and say, okay, you know what? I learned this before. I know how to manage this situation when I'm feeling sad, depressed. 
upset, Mm. worried, anxious, whatever it is. Wonderful. Um, You've always lived a good lifestyle, Melissa. Um, You've always um, been fit, healthy, all the rest of it. Uh, So immune, you know, strong immune uh, system. But I do believe that in some ways for your choices, you decided to cut out some foods and you decided to do something called juicing. What I will say to the people who can't see Melissa because this is not a video podcast is Melissa, you've always been a beautiful person to look at, but since you've changed your diet, is it the juicing? What is the secret to you looking so fabulous? Because I'm not a juicer, but I think if I could look like my daughter a bit more, I'd start juicing. So, you know, just just give us an idea how you changed your, you know, your food intake and what you drink. It, it would be useful to some people, I think. Yeah. Um, so with regards to juicing, um, my really good friend, uh, Carissa, who is also, um, also has metastatic breast cancer. Um, and we, we work together. Um, she gave me her green juice recipe, um, which I started probably like, you know, once we came out of that bit of a depressive state and I've been doing it, uh, religiously since then. Um, so probably since around, you know, June. Um, and that is just, you know, um, I bought a juicer and I make a point to, to do it every day. You know, I've missed probably a couple of days here and there, but um, it's something that, you know, I, I don't see how putting a ton of fresh vegetables in a juicing form will be bad for your body. So, you know, not sure what it's doing, but it's got to help. Um, and then, uh, but I did notice my skin uh, got a lot softer, you know, complexion was, mm-hmm. um, you know, good hair, more shiny, all those different things. So mm-hmm. I think even without a medical, you know, diagnosis, I think mm-hmm. it'd be good for people to juice, you know, even if it's not as, as religiously as, as some of us are doing. Um, the other thing I chose to do is limit my sugar intake. So obviously, you know, natural sugars in, in fruits, um, but really just, um, you know, if I have the choice between a chocolate chip muffin or a banana, probably going to choose the banana now um, mm-hmm. and just really paying attention to the sugars that are in foods and choosing, you know, the the thing in the grocery store that doesn't have sugar in it. So um, those have been really the two main things that I'm doing in terms of uh, diet changes. Um, And yeah, it seems to be, it seems to be going well. I know that there's a lot of debate around um, sugar and, and cancer, but um, you know, for me, it's another thing that I can kind of control. And Mm -hmm. um, with a diagnosis like this, where so much is out of your control, I think having things that, that, are yours to decide um, are are key. That's a good point. Also, neither of us have ever been big alcohol drinkers. You know, we're more of social drinkers. There again, I do remember sometimes when you were younger. No, just joking. Uh-huh. But um, you've cut out alcohol altogether. And I know that I was never told that I had to cut out alcohol. And I know that I see many, you know, programs about health and wellness on the TV or on the web. And they say sometimes, you know, if you limit your alcohol to this, say if you're a wine drinker like me, oh, red wine's better than white wine. And again, this is no way we're not talking about cure. We're talking about different lifestyle that helps, I think, our immune system fight even the common cold better. But I still drink alcohol as a two-time breast cancer survivor in moderation. You've given it up altogether. Was this something that somebody advised or was this just a personal choice? 
So for me, um, because I was pregnant, so I wasn't drinking when I was pregnant and then I was breastfeeding. So I wasn't really drinking when I was breastfeeding. I know that you can, but I I chose not to. Um, And then um, once I um, got the diagnosis and I started the medication, um, the doctor said to me, well, you, you can drink alcohol, but it can make your side effects worse, which um, the main side effects that I have are medically induced menopause. So mm-hmm. don't want those hot flashes and night sweats to be worse than they currently are. And also he said, you know, it can impact how well the medication works for you. And when we're trying to fight cancer, I would like the medication to work at a hundred percent. So for mm-hmm. me, it's just a personal choice. I do know a lot of people that, you know, are um, going through active cancer treatment and, and choose to have alcohol and I know mm-hmm. some that are you know like yourself a, a survivor and choose to have alcohol and I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me and, and I've been like this um as you know throughout my whole life is you know unless it's something that's impacting you specifically you know mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's really um uh a, a kind of a conversation point right so mm-hmm. you know people say to me well you can drink alcohol you can have sugar like don't deprive yourself but it's it's kind of a choice that I've made and mm-hmm. um and I'm happy with it so um and to be honest I'm happy with it too because basically you look wonderful because for everybody out there yes I'm doing the podcast with my daughter and I'm trying to stand back and be very professional about it but obviously I don't want you Melissa to be going through this but seeing how wonderful you look and how healthy you are and how you're taking this news you know on the chin and it is a chronic disease you are managing it and there's many other people in the same situation managing diabetes or other diseases that helps me in a small way know that you know what you're doing and you're doing it for you and you never preach to people you never say you have to do this you have to do that I think you've probably you know got a lot of this strength from your dad who unfortunately is no longer with us um and a little bit of it from me but deep down you are a very strong determined motivated woman I'm very proud of you and um I guess if there's one last thing you want to leave you know with our listeners wherever it may be but you know I'm just so grateful that you have taken the time to do this podcast and open people's eyes to the maybes the what could happen and how we can help ourselves yeah I think you know probably a, a good place to leave off it would be you know, some of the um, the resources that I found to be very helpful during my uh, both diagnosis, um, the primary and secondary. And, um, you know, for me, the uh, the cancer center, both, you know, both at Women's College Hospital and the um, Halton Healthcare uh, Oakville Memorial Hospital, um, you know, they, they offer you a lot of resources. And so for me, when they said, do you want to talk to a dietitian? Do you want to talk to a counselor? Do you want to talk to a psychiatrist? Do you want to talk to all these different people? I said, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and then I could figure out what I actually needed from, you know, each of those services, but at least having that initial conversation and seeing what they offer, um, has been, has been very helpful. Um, you know, I've mentioned it before finding those, those Facebook groups. So it's, uh, you know, there's Facebook groups for breast cancer, there's Facebook groups for the different types of medication. So really whatever you're comfortable with, but also, um, you know, unfollowing or leaving groups or or pages on online whether it's you know facebook instagram twitter whatever it is um that aren't serving you so if you Mm -hmm. find yourself going to these pages and you're not you know you're not feeling better when you leave them unfollow Mm -hmm. them you know you, you get to choose what you do on social um and then i think for me you know, um, Rethink Breast Cancer and uh, the uh, Breast Cancer Canada have been two great resources for me as well. Um, so, you know, seeing what 
where you find your information and, and what you like. Um, and then also, you know, things like Hope Spring. There's a ton of different um, things that they offer. So just, just looking at what's available to you and then figuring out what you want to put kind of in your toolbox to help you uh, with your diagnosis and, you know, as you're going through treatment. And for those people listening that have, you know, primary breast cancer and, um, and you know, going into survivorship, right? Because there's a lot of um, survivor's guilt and different things that people have. So, you know, um, wherever your journey, and I, I kind of hate saying the word journey, but like wherever your journey leads you, um, I think just making sure that you know that there's a lot of support out there and it's just finding what's right for you. Wow. Well, thank you, Melissa. Um I'm quite emotional at the moment listening to you because you are such a, as I say, a positive, oh, a positive, you have such a positive impact on everybody. So thank you again. Get on with your busy day and have a wonderful festive season. Thank you. Thank you.